This tape brings us to the halfway point of Dr. Hunter's series, Bringing Good Out of Family Problems. So far, Dr. Hunter has spoken on being attacked as a child, teenage turmoil, and young adult trouble. The topic of today's message will deal with middle-agers. The scripture text is taken from 2 Kings, chapter 17, verses 33 through 41, and it reads as follows from the New American Standard Version. They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the custom of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. To this day they do according to the earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law, or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord made a covenant and commanded them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves down, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall observe to do forever, and you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods." But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not listen, but they did according to their earlier custom. So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols, their children likewise, and their grandchildren, as their fathers did. So they do this day. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message he's entitled, Being Muddled as a Middle-Ager, in the continuation of his series, Bringing Good out of family problems. And a man in his middle years who is coping both with uh, political changes in his country, it's set in the early 1900s in Russia, political changes uh, in his country that formats uh, uncertainty for his life, and he is also trying to raise five teenage daughters which formats uncertainty in his personal life. And one day he looks at his wife and asks a question he has never asked before. Maybe because he never had the energy to ask it before. Maybe because it's just important at this stage of his life to ask a question of depth rather than just of function. But listen to the question. He loves her. Love. It's a new style. On the other hand, our old ways were new once, weren't they? On the other hand, they decided without the parents, without a matchmaker. On the other hand, did Adam and Eve have a matchmaker? Yes, they did then it seems that these two have the same matchmaker. What else could I do? Golda! Golda! Hello, Golda! I was just talking to Perchik and Hoddle. Well? Well, they seem to be very fond of each other. Well? Well, I have decided to give them my permission to become engaged. What? Just like that? Without asking me? Who asked you? I'm the father! Well, and who is he? A pulper. He has nothing. 
Absolutely nothing. I wouldn't say that. I hear he has a rich uncle. A very rich uncle. <laughs> He's a good man, Golda. I like him. He's a little crazy, but I like him. What's more important, Hoddle likes him. Hoddle loves him. So what else could we do? It's a new world, Golda. A new world. Golda. Do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out, go inside, go lay down. Maybe it's indigestion. Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. So now I'm asking, Golda, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. For 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you too. It, It doesn't change a thing, but even so. After twenty-five years, it's nice to know. In this year of preaching about God, how God brings good out of adversity, we are beginning by talking about the stages of life at which we are the most vulnerable to the attacks of Satan during the most naturally vulnerable times, transitions of our lives, and, and how if we don't make these transitions, we can stay stuck 
in a stage for a long, long time. We began by talking about children, whom we said were the most self-centered and the least self-conscious of all God's people. And we said that they are especially vulnerable to hurt. Part of the reason that God allows that is so that they will know that the only real parent, the one that can last the rest of their lives, is God the Father. We must all learn that, or we will never fully negotiate that stage. And we, with that childlike, self-centered tendency, will try for the rest of our lives to try to get the world to arrange itself around us and our needs. That's what happens with people who are still trying to get everybody to meet their needs. They never negotiated that stage. They never let God father them. Then we said in the teenage years, they are almost the opposite. They are the most self-conscious and the least self-centered simply because they have no idea who they are. And so they spend a good deal of their time trying to find someone to fit in with, someone to give them an identity, someone with whom they might learn who they are. And we said that the important part of this stage, again, is to go directly to God and to form a relationship with Him because only as we identify with Jesus Christ can He tell us exactly who we are and why we were made. Only He can give us the confidence that can help us endure pain without confusion. And so therefore, if you find someone who is constantly trying to fit in with other people, you will find someone who's not negotiated that stage of their life. And last week we talked about the young adult stage and about how it was a stage of fearful facing of the future. And we said that it's very difficult for young adults to make commitments because they don't know how things are going to turn out. And in this society, it's only as you know how things are going to turn out that you can be fully comfortable. And so we said that in this stage, again, the answer is to go directly to God and to his promises. The God who says, everywhere your foot falls, I will give that place to you. Because if you're following me, you're walking in the promised land. You don't have to know exactly the direction to go. It doesn't matter exactly where you are. I can get you to where you need to be no matter where you are. You don't don't need to know how your marriage is going to turn out before you can be fully committed to your spouse. You don't need to know how your children are going to turn out before you can be fully committed as a parent. You don't need to know how the job is going to turn out before you can be fully committed in that job. So, As you find people who are tentative and undependable and non-committed, they're the people who have not negotiated this stage very well. But as you find people who put their whole lives into what they're doing, you'll find people who trust in God and trust the future to God instead of their own mentality. And now, (laughs) this week, we're going to talk about being middle-aged. This is a very special sermon to me. (laughs) I hope you don't mind if we have a little fun at the beginning of this because I find that as, as, I, as I discover I'm middle-aged and I never expected to be here, you either laugh or cry about it, and I'd rather laugh if it's all the same to you. There's two things that tell me that I'm middle-aged. One is what I call the attention-getting sagging of life. 
It, it just, there's, it's just, life is so different than it was when I was young and full of energy. Now, even a young adult and full of energy. You know, you, when you're a young adult, you worry so much about your looks and, you know, even down to the point of how different, when I was a young adult, I worried about how my eyes looked. Now I just worry about looking out of my eyes, you know? <laughs> I went, went to, I literally went to get a driver's license the other day and they said, look in the little machine, you know, and somebody read the chart and I, I literally said, what chart? Could not see a chart. It was awful. It was an awful, awful thing. You know, when you're, when you're a young adult, uh, or uh, just a youngster, you know, gravity is a wonderful thing. It is. It, it, it pulls you down from cheerleading jumps and, and, and jump shots and all that kind of stuff. When you reach my age, gravity is a terrible enemy. I mean, it just pulls you down. You're standing there still pulling you down. I still cannot get over the shock of bending over a mirror. Don't ever bend over a mirror. Your, your head stays the, the same place. Your face just keeps on going, you know. Just keep. It's awful. It's an awful thing. And you're so worn out. People in their middle-aged years just are always saying, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? You're so worn. You can't, you don't understand as you're going along with the process of raising kids what energy that takes out of you. You're so worn out. You're just always looking for ways to conserve energy. I mean, it's like, you know, you bend down to tie your shoe and you find yourself thinking, what else can I do while I'm down here? Don't want to waste the trip, you know? Can I pick up the floor? What else can I do? I you know, it's just, a, it's just a difference. Life sags at middle age, and so does energy, and you just know you're at a different place. But the other thing, and the thing that even strikes me more profoundly, is that when I was a young adult, I was so idealistic, and I, you know, to me... Every problem had a solution. But when you get to middle age, it begins to dawn on you. Every solution has problems. That's right. And it's what you do with the problems of your solutions that determines how your life is going to turn out. Do you remember thinking toward the solutions of your life? Do you remember thinking... When you were when you were younger, oh God, someday I want to have my own house. You know, I live in my parents' house now. Now I live in a dorm now. But someday, someday I'm going to have my own house. And when I have my own house, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be fixed up. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to look wonderful. How's it coming? I can remember thinking, mowing the yard, mowing my dad's yard, and then mowing a rented yard, and, and, and I thought, someday, God, I'm going to have my own yard. I'm going to be mowing my own yard. And it's going to be so wonderful, and it's going to be just perfect. I look out my, my back window now, and I measure the height of my weeds <laughs> on my pool slide. Well, they're about quarter way up the pool slide, Beck. They ain't going to pull those weeds. What is it about weeds in Florida? They just grow as tall as pine trees. I mean, they're just huge. But I can't, I can't get out to pull those weeds. There are problems to every solution. Do you remember as a kid thinking when you were working your way up the ladder? Or as a young adult, you know? Now I'm working for so-and-so, and now I'm working for so-and-so. Someday, someday I'm gonna, I'm gonna be 
somebody's supervisor. Someday people are going to come to me and ask me how to solve their problems. And oh, what a wonderful time that will be. Yeah. Now that you're there, is, is that not a very draining thing? Do you remember as a teenager thinking, someday I'm going to have kids. And I'm going to do everything right that my parents didn't do for me. Someday, someday, I'm going to have teenagers. And they'll come to me and to my wife and they'll say, Mom, Dad, let's just sit down and talk for a while. (laughs) Not only does that not happen, but if your teenager ever comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, we need to talk... You're going to faint dead away before they ever get out of their mouth what they want to talk about because you know you're in trouble. There are problems to every solution. Do you remember, you young men, do you remember starting out and getting so discouraged, you know? You know, you just needed somebody there as an encourager and men don't bond as well and so you probably didn't have a, a group of guys that encouraged you all the way and you just thought to yourself, you know, God, if you just give me a wife, you just give me a wife, she could change my attitude. Twenty years later, you got a wife with an attitude, don't you? Don't lie to me now. I know you do. And you young women, you'd go through the vicissitudes of life, the emotional ups and downs, you know, and you'd get so mad at your own moodiness. And you'd say, oh, God, give me a man. You're looking for stability. Give me a man who will not be moved. That's exactly what you got. You can't move that sucker for love nor money. He just sits there. It's exactly what you got. (laughs) Somebody said that most American men, trying to motivate most American men, is trying like pushing mush with a stick, you know? (laughs) The the part that you push goes forward for as long as you push it, but the rest of it just sits there, you know? Well, the point is, every solution has problems. When when the writer of Ecclesiastes, who, by the way, must have been middle-aged when he wrote this, because the mood of the book of Ecclesiastes is that of someone who is middle-aged. There is great wisdom and great disillusionment at the same time. When the right, Look in Ecclesiastes 2.11 with me. When the writer wrote this, he says, Thus I considered... All my activities which my hands had done. Now, before you get to middle age, you don't consider your activities. You don't stop and think about what you're doing. You haven't got time. You just don't have time. Life requires too much activity. Just functioning requires. But there comes a time when you do start to step back and consider all your activities. And along with the writer of Ecclesiastes, there is disillusionment. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity, and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. You see, he has a sense about his life that there's got to be something more than this, because even what I've accomplished is not substantive enough for me. And that is the overwhelming feeling of people who have reached middle age. You have reached most of your goals by the time you're 40 years old, and then you turn around and you say, so what? 
Okay? What now? And you come to this existential angst where you go, well, there's got to be more. Because the solutions have problems. And so there are two temptations in this world. The Bible speaks to both of them, of course, because the Bible is the most realistic record of what life is and should be. And the two temptations that middle-agers have are, number one, well, I'll just try for some new solutions. Now, you got to admit that that is the first temptation you have, but you also have to admit that you haven't thought that all the way through. Because if you thought that all the way through, you would just remember that the solutions you had before have grown problems, and that's why you're looking for new solutions. So the solutions that you have this time will also grow what? Problems. Exactly right. And if you go toward that route, you will forever have the illusion that the answer to problems is some solution that appears where you are right now. Turn to 2 Kings with me. That's the scripture text. 2 Kings, the people who have been exiled to the promised land, the, the, the Israelites have been exported, along with the leading citizens and the priests, they've been exported to Babylon, and um, in uh, the people, some of the people in Babylon have now gone back to Israel to live. Now, the people in Babylon, of course, have their own gods. But they get to Israel, and there's a problem. They keep getting eaten by lions. The land has lied fallow and disused for a while. There's lions about, and the, and the Bible says the Lord sent lions to eat them. In other words, he's trying to get their attention. Well, he does up to a point, because what they do in verse... Uh, look at verse uh, um, 27 with me. It says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Take there one of the priests whom you carried into exile. This is one of the Jewish priests. And let him go and live there. And let him teach the custom of the God of the land. Now they're talking about the Jehovah God, the God. And so God has gotten their attention. And they want to learn about this God, thinking that if they can just please the God of their specific locality, they won't get eaten by lions anymore. And it says, so one of the priests whom they had carried away into exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Now that's good, isn't it? But, there's that word. Look at the next verse. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the houses of the high places which the people of Samaria had made and every nation in their cities which they had lived. These people, according to verse 31 were still sacrificing their children to pagan gods. And according to verse 32, they also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. Verse 33, they feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the custom of the nations. Now there is a confused people. They sacrificed their children because they cannot focus on one answer, the one true God. And let me say to you, people who are either approaching middle age or in middle age, that's exactly what happens to us when we look 
for new solutions to our problems. When we look to get out of our problems by finding other solutions that God has not given us, we sacrifice our children. We also are most confused. So the one, the one solution is to, to look for new solutions. Not in what God's given you, but just something brand new for your life. How many, how many people in middle age do you see going around looking for something brand new to kind of jumpstart their interest? But there's a second problem or temptation, I'm sorry, second temptation in middle age. And it is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Turn with that to that with me. Deuteronomy chapter 1. There is a temptation, especially with Christian people. This is even more of a temptation with Christian people than the first one is. Most Christian people have enough integrity to say, well, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. Not going to abandon my kids. Not going to do it. But here's what Christians will do. Christians will say, so I'm just going to hang tight until everything's over. I'm just going to let things kind of be functional until everything's over. And they decide that they won't go all the way with God. That they won't go to the depth of life that they know God has for them. Rather, they, they're just going to kind of wander around in the wilderness. What was the solution to slavery for the Israelites? The solution to slavery was escape and the journey to the promised land. But the problem was, when they got to the border of the promised land, there were some pretty big dudes over there. Now, that, was, that solution had a problem, didn't it? Rather than face the problem that was a part of the solution and conquer the problem that was a part of the solution, they chose just to back off and coast. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Let me read this to you. It says this. Yet you were not willing to go up. Verse 26, I'm sorry. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought, out of the, brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. And verse 31 just says to them right out, In the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place, but for all of this you did not trust the Lord your God. And so he says, I'll tell you what, stay in the wilderness. They said, oh, well, golly, if it means our lives can't be fulfilled, okay, we'll go into Canaan. They said, God said, no, no, you won't, because you've built a character of cowardice. What you're going to do is stay in the wilderness. Your children will go into to Canaan, but you'll stay in the character you've built. I'll tell you what, there are a lot of Christians who are going to go to heaven who are living lives of cowardice right now because they will not go flat out for the Lord. They think they can coast. They think they can coast in their marriages and just remain functional instead of asking the deeper questions that God brings to them out of their frustration and pursuing to see if there's anything there. They think they can remain in their jobs until they retire. And then after they retire, they can just coast. Do you realize that someone retiring at 65 today, 60% of the people 
who are retiring at 65 today will live to be 85 years or older. 20% of them will live to be 95 years or older. That's a long time to let moss grow on your life. Coasting is not the answer. Cowardice never was. God wants us to go ahead with the solutions that he has given us in our lives, even though there are problems with those solutions, to bust through the problems and to find the deeper life, the fully committed life. He wants us to be fruitful all of our lives. Turn to, turn to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 12. Well, you're turning there. I got a, I got a, oh golly. I got a, I get all these book, uh, catalogs. This week, a book catalog came, and on the front cover of that catalog, they had a book entitled The One Minute Bible. Think about it. It had broken the Bible down into bits that you could read in one minute a day. And the advertisement for that book was this. Even the person with the busiest schedule can work the Bible in because it will only take him one minute. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever pick up a Bible to read it for one minute. Ever. God spews out of his mouth people who will try to sliver God into their lives. You talk about living cowardice. God says this, you want me or you don't. I want to be in your face. You get in my face. I'm calling you to fullness. Well, it made me so angry. Can you tell? Look at what it says here, though. The righteous man. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. When does a palm tree shed its leaves? Doesn't, does it? Mm -mm. You can kill it, but you can't get it to shed. Can't get it to go lie dormant. Planted in the house of the Lord. I'm sorry, he will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Look at this first verse of 14. They will still yield fruit in old age. You know what? Your spiritual life is just the opposite of your physical life. Our spiritual life gets more fruitful as we go along, not less fruitful. Don't ever think that God wants to shut down because you're getting too old. Our spiritual life is a matter of investment. Now, one more thing, and I'm running, I know I'm running long, and I'm sorry, and, and Dick, I'll close this this morning because I'm so long-winded. I want you to know in verse uh, Psalm 102, one other thing that God wants. God not only wants you to go flat out for Him, but He wants you to be invested in the generations of the future. You see, the question to the middle-ager is, what good is all of this doing me? And that's the wrong question for a middle-ager. The right question is, how can I be fully alive in God? But the second part of that question is, how can I be fully alive for the people who come after me. In Psalm 102, verse 11, it says, My days are like a lengthened shadow. That's that despondency I was just talking about. And I wither away like grass. But thou, O Lord, dost abide forever. And thy name 
to all generations. Now he gets his mind turned around from just his own segment of life and turns it back to the kids. And he says in verse 18, This will be written for a generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Let me give you a perspective as a middle-ager of something that's very important. If you will not live life fully with God for yourself, do it for your kids. I have said that God has made us to be parented to Him. And that's true. But parents, there is never, ever, 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 ever a time when you quit loving and investing your life in this world for your kids. Ever. Somebody has said that the decision to have a child is the most profound decision because what you're choosing to do is have your heart walk outside of your body for the rest of your life. Listen to me. Listen to me. God is calling us to depth, but he's also calling us to investment in our children. Live your life to such an example that your kids can know how to live theirs. And pray for them. I don't care how old they are. Don't ever stop praying for your kids. Don't ever stop being on your knees for them. That is one of the great lessons that we learn in middle age. Life isn't all it's cracked up to be. But life can be more as generations come. If not for us, for them. Stand up let me pray us out here. God, we ask you to take us from here. Deciding not to cop out on the question of function or depth. Help us to be fully invested with our lives in you and in the people you have given us. Not hoping for some idealistic new solution or some quick fix simple answer. But rather saying, God, I'll take as long as it takes to hear your voice. And I'll live the life that's required so that my children have a better foundation than I did. Help us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.